Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is brought to you by ROI Online. ROI offers content marketing, email marketing, social media marketing, web and mobile design, and more for businesses of all sizes. As your business development partner and marketing agency, they help you tell your story. Learn more at ROIOnline.com. Today's guest is Matthew Garner, and Matt has a really interesting story. He went to Amarillo High School and Amarillo College and then set off on a career in science that resulted in a PhD from Cornell. Today, he's a scientist who specializes in fermentation and rumen microbiology. That means he's super interested in the bacteria that live in cows' stomachs. And that brought him back to Amarillo's agriculture community. From here, he's still running labs and businesses in New York, and he's trying to build what he calls a microbiology company of epic proportions right here in Amarillo. Among other things, we talk about moving to Amarillo as a teenager in the 90s, why Amarillo College set him on a path toward a PhD, and why Matt thinks this city is primed to become a technology haven. Here's Matt Garner. Matt Garner, welcome to Hey Amarillo. Thank you for being on the show. Thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate it. So I I definitely want to talk about uh, your expertise to talk about what you do and uh, how you got to that point. But before we start, let's talk about why you're here. So what's your connection to Amarillo? Sure. So just, just going back, you know, the Garners migrated into or immigrated into the U.S. in uh, 1650. And uh, there was a long stretch. But um, as you know, Cactus Jack, John Nance Garner was down in South Texas back in the 30s. Um, so my, my lineage comes from uh, Virginia d- down to South Texas. Another set of immigrants, which were, which were German, came to Oklahoma in the, in the early 1900s and then to Briscoe County, so Silverton. So everybody came to this country, in my family, either English or German, uh, to pursue agriculture uh, and eventually in Texas. My grandfather was a dryland farmer in Silverton all of his life. And my dad was uh, in the cattle business. He was a nutritionist. And we moved around between uh, the central and imperial valleys of California. That's where I went to elementary school and middle school. And then in high school, two days before high school started, moved to Amarillo mm-hmm. and uh, went to Amarillo High for four years. What was that like moving to Amarillo mm-hmm. you know, as a teenager right in the thick of that from California? You know, every summer I would come and work at, at Silverton uh, for the summer so, you know, I was definitely familiar with Texas and familiar with the rodeos, but, you know, dressing like I'm dressed today with the long sleeve surfer t-shirts and the, and the shorts and a, and a, and a pair of vans um, and showing up to school, you know, I, I was definitely out of place. And so I remember like the first week my dad took me to uh, J.C. JCPenney or Dillard's or somewhere and we got some jeans and a braided belt and some, some button up shirts and so it was definitely a, an adjustment. Um, when we moved to Amarillo, soccer wasn't a UIL sport. Mm-hmm. And when I tried out for soccer, it was a bunch of football players that you know were trying to do something in the off season and, and, and a few freshmen uh, out at Amarillo High. So it, it was definitely a, a giant cultural adjustment. And for educational wise, when I was in California, I was to, I was as a freshman, I was going to be in junior and senior high school classes and here I was testing at at kind of an eighth grade level so I was right on par with the freshmen and so it was a real gut check in the in the fact that 
I thought I was smarter than everybody. I get here and I and I'm just in basic freshman level classes and 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 so that was a that was a huge adjustment. What do you attribute that to? I mean, what why is that? I think the education in in Amarillo at the time, this is, you know, 90 in the early 90s was really really good. Mm-hmm. You know, Amarillo High, a lot of people went to high school. And and, and in California, if you spoke English, you were basically going to be at a, at a really high level. Um, and, you know, they had the strikes. My mom was a substitute teacher. They had strikes in California. And so not everything about California is about beaches and sunshine. Um, you know, the teachers didn't get paid. So my parents moved here primarily for economic reasons and stability reasons in, in the 90s. And uh, they sold their house for a lot of money in California and bought a nice house in, uh, in Sleepy Hollow and went to Emerald High. And, <clears throat> and it was a big adjustment. Did, did you like seriously have a wardrobe change where you went from wearing surfer gear to the Absolutely. boots and jeans and stuff? Like you just embraced it. I mean, I didn't embrace it. I, I didn't want to get the crap beat out of me in, in high school. And again, to go from middle school to high school, I think is a, it's, an, a, it's a tough thing for anybody. But, but to go from saying dude and to a place where, where people know that you don't fit in and your hair's different and you know, you're wearing Oakley sunglasses and it, it, it was just... It was just a huge cultural shock, and it it wasn't that people were mean to me. It was just you. May, I mean, you and I are similar age. It was very cliquish at the time, and and I think Amarillo's grown out of that. But the white hats abounded back then, right? And that, that was a big part of the story with <clears throat> Brian Dinicky and and all that stuff. I, I wonder if a school like had you gone to Tascosa, which was a much more diverse school as opposed to Emerald High, if that might have been any different. Because I graduated around the same time, and yeah. there were plenty of Skaters. So it's it's funny that you mentioned that because you know one of the reasons that we moved back to Amarillo because I had such a strong network of of mentors here and they all came from First Presbyterian Church and so um, you know the A and O house was a big part of my life and and the and the adults that surrounded that were a big part of my life and all of my friends went went to Tascosa. I mean I was good friends with the people I was in high school with. Don't get me wrong, but the people that I hung out with socially, guys like Brian Kelleher and, and a bunch of guys that aren't here anymore that ended up moving to Austin or California, they were my friends. And they were, it wasn't, I felt like I was not accepted at Emerald High. I just was more, my attitude and, and the way that I dressed and the way that I thought about things was much more similar to the Tascosa folks. And so when we moved to Amarillo a few years ago, probably one of the reasons what we moved you know, right up next to Amarillo College, um, because you know that that felt like home to me. So let's let's talk about you know once you got through high school yep. um, and started looking at college and looking at careers. I mean, what what was the decision making process for you? Yeah, so I had every intent since the time I was a little kid to either be a farmer or to be a dentist, and um, I got accepted to you know Baylor and to Rhodes College and and all these places. Um, but my dad had started a business in, in 92, uh, in selling probiotics, uh, into, into cattle. It was tough because my dad didn't have very much money. And, um, so I went to Emerald college, like a lot of people that are on your, your podcast. And it, I didn't go there because I wanted to, I went there because I, I had to. And, um, I worked for Dr. Kemp, who was a dentist. And, uh, before that I worked for Boxel brothers you know, kind of paid my, my own way through school. And, you know, if I hadn't gone to Emerald College, I probably wouldn't have been able to get into Cornell University. 
Um, at Amarillo College, I had some great biology and microbiology courses, and I was pre-dental student of the year for whatever that's worth. But you know, the, the courses were really were really excellent, and uh, I ended up going to Texas State University after two years at Amarillo College. Um, and the reason I went there was because it was just scenically different. There was a river there. Um, I was president of uh, Texas College Republicans at Emerald College, and um, I made some friends at Texas State. And then I had a, a guy that I was in a class with in Amarillo that was actually going there. And so, you know, everything just kind of fit. And when I got to Texas State University, it turns out that they had a master's program for microbiology, and Texas A&M at the time did not, and UT didn't have a have a microbiology program. So it was it was lucky that I went to Texas State because I had a good microbiology background. I got an A-plus in microbiology, which is like one of those weed-out classes like organic mm-hmm. chemistry. They asked me to TA. I didn't know how I was going to pay for school. But anyways, I went, to, I went to Texas State for three years and TA'd microbiology um, for two and a half years and um, stayed an extra year because I was looking at going to dental school and my advisor, who was mentoring me, was like, hey, you know, you should try to go to Cornell and, and do microbiology. You know, they accept 10 students a year in their microbiology program. There's a, there's loads of dentists out there. I don't know why you'd be looking at, at, at teeth, and I really wanted to be a dentist. That's okay, I'll interview. And I interviewed at Cornell, and I took the, the GRE, and um, I passed it, and Cornell called me and said, hey, congratulations, you're in. And, and so I... I didn't really look back on going to dental school until I was halfway through my PhD, and I was like, man, I should have been a dentist. But, <laughs> but regardless, back to Amarillo, I, th- I think the Amarillo College is a, is a great school, and it, like I said, I wouldn't have gotten into Cornell without my Amarillo High background, without my, I had perfect English scores on my GRE, which if anyone listens to me talk, they're like, how can that guy have perfect GRE English scores? Well, I did, and it was due to my junior English teacher, Mrs. Payne, at Amarillo High, and then um, and then my microbiology background at, at, at AC. So that's my educational thing about Amarillo, and that's one of the reasons my wife and I moved back here. Was you know when we were, when we're trying to start a family, we're like Amarillo is going to be a great place to raise kids. And my wife has a PhD, so education is important to her too. So let's let's talk <clears throat> about. Cornell, and specifically for listeners who don't really know what you're talking about when you talk about microbiology, you know, w- without getting too far in the weeds of stuff that you're going to understand and I'm not going to have a clue about, but right. um, tell, me, tell me what microbiology is and then sort of explain how that fit into uh, your doctorate. Sure. So I am a microbiologist. So just like somebody would be a, you know, orthopedic surgeon, they would study a, a medical degree for four years um, and, and, and that's basically what you go to school for is you study microorganisms. That's bacteria, yeast, fungi, and viruses. So basically all the things that make our food and make us sick and kill us. So microorganisms are, are kind of the, at the most fundamental level of, of how life works on this earth. Um, and so they're extremely important. And we don't think about microorganisms until we get sick or, um, you know, you need a shot or, you know, you want to drink some alcohol. A lot of things, and so micro or, microbiology is—it's just one of those fundamental things. It's—it's—it's it's, it's like engineering. It's just—it's just a—it's just, just a basic discipline. Uh, Cornell is a unique school in that it's an ag school 
and like a, a liberal arts school. So it's like Texas A&M and UT combined. Mm-hmm. And, but it, and it's also state and private. So it's like Texas A&M, UT, and Rice and SMU combined. It's a huge school as far as um, as the Ivy League goes. You know, most people think of Harvard as an Ivy League. You know, there's there's Harvard and there's Princeton and there's Brown and there's Yale and there's Cornell and there's a, there's a couple other ones. But you know, I, I think Harvard's like five to seven thousand students and Cornell's like twenty two thousand. Mm-hmm. So it's huge. The pedigree at Cornell is very interesting and if you if you look at you know experts in areas a lot of times they tend to be from cornell or they tend to be cornell educated so the ability to do that from amarillo texas is amazing is amazing and then you're around you're around people that you know as much as i know about fermentation microbiology you know i've got a friend who does commercial mortgage-backed security risk modeling you know on supercomputers and so it's very interesting discussions at the bar on Friday night. So tell me, tell me about your expertise and what you decided to focus on. So I'm a ruminant microbiologist, and there's very few people that practice the art of studying what goes on in, in, in cattle stomachs and how the cattle st- stomach works. So if, if, if you think about a, a cow... And how amazing it is. It eats something that we can't eat, which is grass, which is, you know, lig- lignin and cellulose, basically. So they're eating cardboard and they're turning it into something that's uber delicious, which is meat, milk, and, and fat. So, you know, what comes from cows? Well, beef, yummy, uh, ice cream, all right, blue cheese. You know, y- you had me there, right? And then leather. And then the crowning thing about cattle is that they reproduce themselves. So they're walking fermentation vats. That was kind of my basic um, undergraduate, and not to get into the weeds, but I discovered a, a new bacteria that that causes uh, foot diseases. But as you're as you're doing that, and there's such a little market for that, I also studied as a postdoc. So a postdoc is kind of like doing a residency. So after you're done with medical school, you're like, okay, so what do I really want to do with my life? Oh, I want to be a, a plastic surgeon. So I, I went and did a residency, basically, or a postdoc in food science and food safety. So I learned how to make things and I learned how to make sure that food was safe. So um, if you think about in 2004 to 2006, uh, Greek yogurt was just getting started in New York. Um, and so I had the opportunity to work with some of those people, um, testing for E. coli and salmonella in, in finished products like meat and hot dogs and things like that is things I got to work on there. So all aspects of food is kind of where my formal education ended and, and kind of where my private company began. And so tell me about that private company. You finished your degree, finished your postdoc, and then sort of got into the commerce world. Is that right? Yeah. So w- when you get a PhD, there's there's a few routes that you can go. You can go into academia, and that's a, that's a great route. Um, you can go work for a giant company. Or you, you can go and you can start your own company. And, you know, if you think about 2006, what was going on back then was, you know, you had companies like Facebook starting and Google, you know, and I was lucky enough to, uh, Cornell was paying for my MBA as a postdoc. I was just like, you know, let's, let's try to become the Facebook or the Google of microbiology. There's not really companies out there that are excelling in that. And so um, I competed in some competitions and um, some people took some notice. I got funded by uh, individuals. 
to start a microbiology company. And we started April 1st, you know, Apple started on April 1st, it's April Fool's Day, why not? So I uh, put in my two months for, uh, notice to, to my boss and, and she understood. I started Microbios April 1st, 2006. And what we were doing at the time is we were pulling guys when they were, guys and girls when they were getting P, their PhDs and we were trying to create a startup microbiology company just like startup tech companies would do. Um, again, it had the highest concentration of microbiologists probably in the United States. And I knew all these people, you know, they were my friends and people I had worked with. So, you know, we would help companies do their food safety plans. We would help companies uh, make sure that if they were making cheese or yogurt, um, it was safe. Got to work with some really cool companies that were just starting up at the time that are giant now. Um, wish maybe would have joined one of those big companies. But my dad was still running this company in Amarillo, and, and it had turned into a pretty big deal. And so we were doing uh, a lot of the research and development for his company. And so I, I talked to some guys um, at some private equity companies in Boston. They said, Dad's company sounds great. You know, it's number one in its market. It's got double-digit profits. It's grown year over year. They're positioned. They don't have a lot of competitors. Let's go buy it. Are there any companies that do things like that? I'm like, yeah, there's a couple extra companies in, in Amarillo that distribute, and they, they do similar things in the cattle market. And they're like, well, just lump that into the pot, too. So, you know, here we were, you know, here I was, a, you know, sub-30 guy raising hundreds of millions of dollars to come buy companies out of Amarillo. And, you know. What was your dad's company? Um, it sold probiotics. So it's called Nutrition Physiology corporation and so when we approached my dad and his partners to buy the company my dad was like yeah sure i'm all in and his partners were like well let's shop it so you know once you put in a bid for a company it, it goes into it can go into an auction process and once it went into the auction process the price went so high that the the, the people that were providing the capital were like man i don't know if the return on the investment looks that good and then so we went and talked to a couple of these other companies that did similar things and, and they saw my dad's company was under auction. So they took their company to auction. So, you know, I went from raising all this money potentially on paper to having two or three companies, you know, that were basically out of Amarillo and the surrounding area that all went to auction and we lost bids on all of them. So, <laughs> but what that did is that activated a, a series of three and five year non-competes. Um, because if, if you put a bid and you don't get it, then you, then you can't compete. And what's worse is if you develop technology for them and you get some compensation for them, then you've got some non-compete. So we had a couple things that, um, that triggered our non-competes. And so we were all geared up to, to compete in this industry. And so then I'm sitting here in 2008 with a couple of three and five year non-competes where I can't go out and sell and develop probiotics and, you know, uh, wait, wait a minute. I just spent eight years in school and raising money to do this. And, and now I can't do this. And so, um, we were still able to do some consulting for the yogurt companies and things like that we talked about. But what we decided then was we would set out a three year and five year non-competes and, uh, me and a partner, we bought a restaurant and a coffee shop and, and that worked really well. And then we bought a food company and we started a food company that distributed local foods and that company still works and and has got dozens of employees in Ithaca when then we started making our own yogurt and cheese and cream on top milk all those entities are still running today 
in New York and, and running in New York City, kind of with me working uh, on, on them re- remotely. But I, I still had my eyes on doing things in microbiology, and, and we were, we're very relevant in microbiology, and I'm known for what I do in microbiology. And so when my non-compete was over, we started selling probiotics in the panhandle of Texas, and now we're, if not the number one, the number two probiotic uh, company in beef. Okay, so tell me, for the people that are not involved in the agriculture industry, don't really understand the role that those probiotics play. Tell sure. me how that impacts this local industry. Well, it's big. So there's there's about 9 million head of cattle that, that get fed every day, depending on how you look at it. But over half of those eat a, eat a probiotic. So that's a beneficial bacteria. And if you think about a ruminant, like I was saying before, it, it it's basically eating grass and starch and protein, and all the digestion is done by microorganisms, not by a gastric stomach like humans. You know that that use their acid to break yes, down. Yes, we food. have acids and stuff yeah. happening in our stomachs. And, and in cattle and elephants and water buffalo and giraffes and things like that, they use bacteria to degrade their food. So so most things that eat a lot of vegetables are using bacteria to degrade their food. And so what you do is is you take a cattle and it's usually out on the ranch for a period of time, let's say until it's 700 pounds, and then you bring that animal into a feed yard and you feed it a more defined ration than just whatever's out on the pasture. That has a giant microbiome shift. If you can think about that these cattle were basically reared eating grass and then you go put them in a feedlot, and now they're eating silages and, and corn and, and things that are a lot easier to ferment, but they ferment a lot rapidly, you can get some digestive issues. If you were used to eating Mexican food all your life and then they, someone ships you to Norway, you know, or vice versa, mm-hmm. you would have some, some digestive issues. So what these organisms have been shown to do is, is you feed organisms that are able to digest these substrates, meaning the ration that you're feeding the animal, then they're able to make that their microbiome, the, the organisms in their in the rumen, are able to make that that switch faster. And that's really important because you don't want cows or cattle or steer to not eat their food and then get sick. And so, you know, you've had a lot of talk about antibiotics and you know chipotles against antibiotics and and things like that this is one of the one of the newer technologies that you can use to kind of replace antibiotics so if you think about it you know cattle that are out on pasture don't need a lot of antibiotics but they'll take five or six years to get to a size to where we can slaughter them economically i mean Seven percent of the beef population in the world is in the U.S., and and we make up twenty percent of the production. So we have really efficient animals, and the way that we're able to do that is to get them to eat things really fast. And the the microorganisms are a quote unquote natural way to do that without feeding antibiotics and and things that the consumer doesn't like. Um, and so they're they're an alternative strategy. It's not just that groovy feed yards feed these things. There's actually conventional feed yards. That, that, it's not like that, a hippie thing in the cattle industry. It's not like a hippie thing. And I'm not sitting here in my Birkenstocks and my ponytail. Um, I actually, you know, I go into feedlots all the time. And the cattleman wants a healthy animal, uh, whatever they can do. And, and so just like you and I want our children to be healthy, 
the cattleman wants the, the animal to be healthy and they'll they'll use whatever technology they can and and this is one of those technologies and it's it's been very popular in Europe for a very long time it's been very popular in the panhandle of Texas basically for the last 20 years and and so you know my, my part is part microbiologist evangelist it, it's part um, understanding how to get microorganisms to the cow uh, efficiently and um, you know these these are things that have a very beneficial impact on the animal and it and it basically has no negative effect that side of your business is ramping up here you also have a number of different business interests still in new york that you're managing you know remotely from here in amarillo tell me tell me how that has worked for you you know having a bunch of employees you know still up there well it sucks i mean (laughs) mean, you're you're a ceo who's isolated from what's happening so you know i have partners in all my businesses and i have you know very trusted and, and and good employees but you know, people still want your input. I think if you start a company, people want your input until either you're out or you're dead. And so I, I spend a lot of time on the phone and I, and I spend a lot of time on the road. And it's it's hard to be on the road for Amarillo because you have that extra stop to go to Denver or to Houston or to Dallas. And, and then Ithaca is kind of like the Amarillo of New York. You know, you once you get to New York City, you've still got a five-hour right. drive. So, you know, it's not atypical for me to drive from Amarillo to Denver if the connection doesn't make and then to to fly from Denver to New York City and then definitely to drive from New York City to Ithaca. So you you better love what you do or it makes the job really really difficult. But you still you still choose to live here. What what do you get in terms of quality of life or the freedom that you have here that's making all this work for you? Yeah, so my wife and I looked at a lot of different places. I've always had a I've always had a business headquarters in Amarillo. I've been starting businesses um, out of Amarillo for a long time. So Amarillo's always kind of been my business home. It's a great place to do business from. New York is a horrible place to do business from, but but New York has a lot going for it in terms of you know there's a big there's big sizes, uh, there's a lot of people there. Um, there's a lot of diversity there. The workforce is highly educated. People have a lot of disposable income. So there's a lot of good things about, about New York, but it's a horrible place to run the business. The taxes are high. The amount of, of legislation on things that really don't matter is really high. And financing, financing is tough up there. And so the reason that we moved to Amarillo is we didn't move to Amarillo so I could run my New York businesses, right? We moved to Amarillo so we could start kind of a microbiological company of, of epic proportions because those things have kind of gotten to this in New York, have kind of gotten to the scale to where they're not going to plateau, but they're not going to grow. You know, food distribution company is not going to grow to be a $100 million company. Whereas what we're doing in the microbiology world, we've developed a lot of technologies that are used by companies that have almost unlimited revenue streams. So the reason we moved to Amarillo was, you know, it's easy to get financing here uh, if you have a good business plan and you have a proven track record. The other thing is, is the space. It's incredibly difficult to find space to operate in, in, in New York and, and some of these other places. And Northeast Amarillo is amazing. I mean, it is an asset 
that this this town has that is unlike no other. I mean, if I wanted to throw down a vaccine manufacturing facility anywhere, Amarillo would be the place. I mean, Puerto Rico has been devastated. Ireland is is a nightmare. And, you know, if you wanted to make vaccines, you know, me, you, and a couple guys from Amarillo should just march up to one of these pharmaceutical companies and be like, let's make them an Amarillo. You know, we got warehouse space. We got plenty of guys that know HVAC, you know, like the, like the back of their hand. We have no, you know, I mean, there's no state income tax. So guys that make 15 or $50 million a year, corporations that have billions of dollars a year of, of corporate profits, Man, that should be a no-brainer. And so Amazon isn't going to move here because quality of life and direct flights. And, and know, an available workforce. I mean, and that's an available workforce. But, you know, Jason, one of the things that we do have is that to work at a fast food restaurant or to work at a uniform supply company requires some skill. You have to show up to work on time. You have to be able to not burn French fries. You have to be able to ring stuff up up quickly i think a lot of people think that about technology jobs is that you know everyone needs to have a phd it's it's not true you need some phds but you need you, you need managers and amarillo has a wealth of people that know how to operate well and you know if i got to pay people two dollars more an hour than the call center for aig or for you know our buddies at Toot and Totem and Pakasak, there is an available workforce here, as opposed to New York City where you, you can't you can't even get there. I mean Amarillo, it's a great town to live in. It, there's no commute. We've got housing here, um, and we could build housing like really quickly. It's like let's call four of our buds and put up an apartment mm-hmm. complex in a year, it, or, or nice houses. It, it's done. I mean. The work ethic that people have here is well balanced. I, I remember one of your podcasts, you know, the preacher was saying, eh, people here are really slow. Well, they're kind of slow, but they also take the weekends off. So they right. come back on Monday and they're ready to get after it. You know, hey, yeah, the work day's over at 345 because someone's got to coach T-ball, but they'll be at work at 8 o'clock on time. The subway wasn't late. You know, they weren't stuck in a traffic jam because someone – you know, was texting and, you know, there's multiple ways to get to places. So if you really want to get after it, like I am, why not give Amarillo a shot? I mean, there's a lot of great towns out there. You know, one of the things that you've talked about on your podcast is like, man, I could give two cares about what's going on in Dallas or in Denver or in Austin. I mean, we can't compete with those. The towns we need to look at are Boise, Idaho, where they said, you know, we're going to focus on the most livable city and they've got micron there they've they've got technical jobs there or you look at rally durham where they made cigarettes and cigarettes have gone the way of the dodo bird and they've taken all these warehouses and they've built an awesome baseball stadium i mean the guys from amarillo that are building a baseball stadium they got to go to rally durham and check it out i mean buildings that you know butt up against the stadium and you can go eat at a restaurant and watch the baseball game for free in general, admission tickets are like five bucks. I mean, and it's Rally Durham. They got a they got baseball heritage out the wazoo. So there's towns that don't have a ton to offer. They don't have like forests. They're not on the sea. You know, Boise's kind of in the middle of nowhere, kind of like Amarillo. It's about five hours from the coast. You know, we ought to be looking at stuff like that where 
the people of those towns have said, what do we want our city to look like? But not 20 years from now, like, like three years from now. Do that then for, for your business interests. What do you hope to see happen you know, within the next three to five years for um, you? For me, I want to start, you know, we make our products in L.A. We make our products in Florida. We make our products basically on the coasts because that's where biological manufacturing has traditionally been. That's where pharmaceutical manufacturing has traditionally been. I would like to be making our products here. I would like to recruit other companies that have small to medium-sized biological portfolios to manufacture here. I mean, if you look at some of these guys that are manufacturing biological portfolios, they're manufacturing 30- or 40-year-old technologies, which still work in buildings that were built right after World War II. Right. You know, uh, they got blue tarps on the ceiling. Not, not quite that bad, but that's a bit of hyperbole. And they've got an aging workforce. If you look at the guys that are running these companies, they're in their late 60s, early 70s. So my goal would be, and the reason, the specific reason we moved to Amarillo, my goal is to get together some business-minded individuals, some well-capitalized individuals that want to keep this local and start to manu- manufacture things that are made, made by microorganisms because microorganisms are very efficient. And that also means that the products are very profitable. Not to say that Amarillo could be the Silicon Valley of biological manufacturing, but maybe it could be like the number two or number three. Um, All that stuff has been done in Binghamton and Syracuse, New York, and those companies are fleeing to Puerto Rico. Well, those facilities are sitting idle right now. You know, there's some stuff in Dallas, but that stuff's about to break down. So there, there needs to be an investment, and it's investment that's going to be required by a group and there's great banks here and there's, and there's well capitalized individuals here. So it, it can definitely happen because basically, you know, the companies that are making stuff want to make things well. And so they're, they're making the decision now is do we continue to make them in the U S or do we make them not in the U S? So if we're going to make stuff in the U S Amarillo is a great place to do it. Content marketing, email marketing, social media marketing, branding, web and mobile design. If, if you have a small business or a large business, you have probably heard these terms. You hear them all the time in the context of things you probably need to be doing. But if you're like most business owners, you don't have the time or the manpower or the expertise to focus on this stuff. I've got a background in the marketing industry and rest assured, they're correct. Marketing is crucial in today's business climate. But it can be overwhelming if you don't know much about it. That's why you should join forces with ROI Online. ROI believes your marketing should make you money. Their team of experts will partner with you to shape your company's marketing and your culture, but they're more than just a marketing agency. You can think of them as your business development partner. They'll help tell your story so you can connect with customers and get ahead of your competition. So become a partner, create a plan, and grow your business. To learn more about how ROI Online can position your business for the future, visit ROIOnline.com or follow them on Instagram or Facebook. ROI Online, leading the modern marketing movement. Okay, I'm back with Matt Garner. Matt, uh, this is the part of the show that I call Eight Straight. Uh, What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. Uh, Your job as my guest is to answer those in whatever degree of detail uh, you would like to. 
So to start off, this is not a question I've asked anybody else, but I'm going to ask you, what is your favorite fermented product? That's a good question. So, you know, some of the obvious ones for a lot of people would be, you know, cheese or kimchi or, or, or yogurt, which, which we make and we love or smoothies or things like that. But, but I want to talk about something that, that people kind of forget about. And I would say one is beef should be people's favorite fermented product because it's a product of, of a fermentation process. And so, you know, being from Amarillo, moving back to Amarillo, you know, the, the, the nation's capital of beef being in Hereford, Texas, a shout out to all my, my buddies in Hereford is, you know, beef's, beef's got to be there um, for, from what we do. But the other thing I want to say, you know, kind of cheating is there's a product that doesn't exist yet that, that I want to create. I'll kind of give you a, a little bit of a, of a description. So Jason and I are drinking a, a low alcohol, 1% low calorie beverage that a buddy from Cornell and I have developed. I, I drink it because I love the camaraderie of, of drinking beer. You know, you always talk about to some of your buds on the show, it's like, well, where do you drink beer and stuff? I have like some minor gluten allergies. And I found if I don't drink beer, then I do better the next day. But drinking a lot of red wine is not good for me. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of telling my buddy this and he's like, dude, we can, we can make a low calorie low alcohol beverage that we could basically just pretty much pound all day and you can make it taste like beer you can make it taste like something interesting um and that's what jason and i are drinking we're right drinking now. it and it's delicious and you know any of these breweries that is going up in, in amarillo and and i hope them big success you know we'll bring the recipes and we can make it right there in your vats and so uh i, I think that's something that we could do and and it would be a nice alternative because if you know we want to drink you know, for a couple hours and then be able to drive home, that's a good thing or go bicycle or something like that. So, um, those are my two favorite fermented products. Okay. What is your favorite local restaurant? A place that hasn't gotten a shout out yet, which I believe, which, which I got to give a shout out is, uh, it's a Punjabi affair. Okay. That place, you know, it's on Western. Um, they got a patio and it's covered and it's screened it's very legit uh, Indian food. They're always happy to see me. If you if you golf at either one of the places, you should grab that food on your way home. You don't make your wife or husband cook. It is some seriously good food. What does this area have too much of? Um, we have too many people that don't take care of their bodies. My wife has her PhD in nutrition, and she does breastfeeding. That's 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 her job. But you know, again, that's her expertise. She's a nutritionist, and and a guy who's in the the food business. You know, you come to this area because the people are great, right? Well, if the people are great and they love their grandkids, don't they want to be around for when their grandkids are are here? And I think one thing that Amarillo is really behind on the times on it we need to get this cultural thing out of our system is you know we all don't need to eat like we're 16 year old cross-country runners <laughs> or we're at a birthday party we have a lot of restaurants and restaurants can make money by serving brussels sprouts or sauteed green beans or you know not everything has to have high fructose corn syrup in it or heavy cream or whatever to make money uh, I don't mind spending money going out to eat on vegetables or different things. And so, you know, the meat here is prepared pretty well, but there's too many fries. There's too many carbs. 
most people are supposed to be eating 1,800 calories a day. They shouldn't be getting it in more than that in one meal. And, you know, maybe park your car out. And if you're going to get a 1,800 calorie Frappuccino, at least like get out of the car and get it. You know? Yeah, park Start in the furthest the space in that so, parking lot. You know, I'm very upbeat about Amarillo and I love the people of Amarillo. I, I, I wish that people would take care of themselves a little bit better. And that's, again, one of the reasons why we've moved here is that one of the things that Microbios has done in the past is we've made and sold probiotics for people. And um, I intentionally took my my weight up to 202 pounds. And as you see me today, I weigh 168. I, I, I did that to see how it, how eating food that was really bad for me affected my microflora. I'm still working from some injuries that I got when I weighed 200 pounds. My, my back still hurts a little bit. My knee still hurts a little bit. But, you know, you can do it. You just have to change your dietary habits. Maybe go for a walk instead of watching that one extra Netflix show. And uh, maybe drink some low-calorie alcohol instead of a, a, a white Russian. What does this area not have enough of? It doesn't have enough vegetables that we grow here. And it doesn't have enough uh, technology jobs. One of the things that I'm passionate about, I, I want microbios to bring technology jobs to the area. And if I fail, I'm going to fail in a very splendid way, uh, trying to be, bring technology jobs to the area. One of the things that probably you'll, you'll talk about and is going on is um, there's a group of individuals and they've invited me to, to talk to them. They're trying to bring in a vet school to Texas Tech uh, in Amarillo. And I think that is a something that I can get behind 100% on. We're going to train students here to be in agriculture. Um, their spouses are going to be educated that come here as well. The, the people that come here to teach are going to be educated. And I think that if you can only kill one hare at a time, one rabbit at a time, I think that Amarillo getting behind this vet school is a good catalyst for helping bring technology jobs to do that. And there's a lot of people that are investing a lot of time and have donated a lot of money to this. And so, you know, a shout out to, to those folks. What's your, your go-to coffee shop? So every morning I wake up at 5.30 and I brew um, my, own, my own coffee and run it through a French press. And I do that with the evocation beans. I think the, the evocation beans for brew coffee, drip coffee are the best. I would say for atmosphere, you know, Palace starting in Canyon and, and going downtown and, and now their, their other location has really nailed it. And so... Both those guys are doing a tremendous job and, and also miss, uh, you know, Thatcher, the original Roasters location. I miss mm -hmm. Thatcher. But, but I would say, you know, we've got a tremendous coffee culture. And I like that question that you asked because the coffee culture starting somewhere else but taking root in Amarillo. And, and we've got as good a co coffee culture as, as New York City or, or San Francisco. It, really cool, groovy things can happen here if you've got somebody driving that ship and it, it's a great question and and they're both doing a solid job so you uh you are living in amarillo and managing employees in ithaca at cornell other interests in new york when when you talk to them about where you live when you describe amarillo yeah. or they say what is amarillo even what do you tell them so there, there there's pros and there's cons the to start out kind of negative it's it's a big suburb with no city center not really 
any shopping to speak of because of no city center, but there's no, but there's no traffic and the dining scene, as far as having fresh fruits and vegetables is lousy. I'm excited about the restaurants that we have and some of the ones that are coming, but when you go to New York and you go out to New Jersey or you go out to Long Island, that's what it's like. You know, it's like when you go into the middle of Omaha, it's kind of cool. When you, when you're five minutes outside of the middle of Omaha, you're kind of in Amarillo except for there's nowhere to go. And so people understand that. As far as explaining to, to people, why the heck did you move to Amarillo? One is, I think we have a good education for kids here. So that was what, what, what pulled my wife in. Um, and, and I think it's pro-business, and we talked about that. There's great banks. Um, you know, Amarillo National is a great bank. Um, they've been with me from day one. Hmm. Because they're such a good bank, there's other good banks too, like First Capital Bank and Happy State Bank and, uh, and Commerce Bank. Any one of those banks, you can go and you can talk to either the owner or the president of the bank within a 48-hour request. And that is the biggest reason that I moved here was, you know, we could have moved to Boise or Fort Collins or, 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 or somewhere else, but here it's very easy for a somewhat extroverted person, even a high-functioning fun- introvert like myself, to get to know the community leaders and get in front of people. So I would say is, you know, the kudos to Amarillo because people make themselves available. They're very giving with their time. If there's something that's completely different the, about anywhere than anywhere I've ever been is that Amarillo civic leaders, they feel like a civic duty to the rest of us because they have something and it's real and it's genuine. What's your favorite kind of Texas Panhandle weather? The warm fall and the warm winter days are awesome. I mean, compared to compared coming from to the northeast, feet of snow in yeah, upstate New York. Yeah, so I mean, that's unique. So you know, when you're when it's late November or December and you can go sneak in nine holes of golf or or walk down the street with shorts, it's that's a great day. And our nights are our nights are wonderful too. So you mentioned uh, your wardrobe shift in high school. When was the last time you wore cowboy boots? <laughs> the last time I wore cowboy boots was in was in New York City by request at a at a cheese tasting that uh, my friend and I were, were running. You know, people love to see Texans in cowboy boots. So that was when when they hear that you're from Texas, do they expect you to to be wearing cowboy boots or to to have that kind of culture? I think so. I think you know they expect me to have on cowboy boots and talk about my oil wells and ride in on a horse, and that, that's no joke. I mean, people people don't understand how big Texas is. All right, so that concludes our eight straight questions, Matt. I like to finish each episode by asking my guests to just make an endorsement to tell listeners about something that. Uh, you appreciate something you want them to know about or experience locally. Um, I'd like to endorse the agricultural community, all the places around here. You know, that's that's why probably most of our grandparents or great grandparents came here and, and, and homesteaded or became pioneers of this land. You know, you've still got that spirit. But I would say is, you know, the agricultural community is, is a very resilient one and they will if you want to make food cheap, they'll respond to that. If you want to make food really groovy and pay a lot of money for that, they'll do that. And they are out there braving the weather every day. They're dealing with wild fluctuation in prices. And, and that's, again, 
the reason why we moved here was was to be around the agricultural community and when i'm in amarillo three out of the five days i'm out there in towns like stratford and dalhart and and herford and going and seeing customers and talking to my friends uh, in the industry and if you're not interacting with the agricultural community find a farmer or find a feedlot owner or find a rancher and try to spend a day with them and, and see what they do because it's they're an amazing group of people that are producing our food what they do isn't easy uh, i think they enjoy their work but it's still something i'd I'd like to endorse because it's an amazing group of individuals. You know, they're not sitting around saying, what am I going to do today? Yeah. They got plenty to do. Matt Garner, thanks for being on Hey Amarillo. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to ROI for sponsoring the show and uh, especially to Matt Garner for sitting down with me and sharing his vision for microbiology in Amarillo as well as for sharing his delicious, scientifically developed, fermented, low-alcohol beverage. It really was good. You can follow this podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or you can dig through the archives at heyamarello.com. And if you haven't done so yet, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. This helps other people discover Hey Amarello. So thank you for listening. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>